to help all of us. And if we work together, we can accomplish a lot of things. Amen. For example, God wants us to pray. God wants us to fast. God wants us to meditate on his two witnesses, his word and his spirit. God wants us to come together in worship. Just to name a few things that God kind of expects us to do as his people. Now Thursday night, I spoke on the calling of God, and we did a little role play. I took out my cell phone, and we did a little role play, and everybody got their cell phones out, and uh, I wanted to talk about getting a call from God, so I asked how many of them had their phones, they held them up. I asked them how many of them had me as a contact, they raised the other hand. And on three, they all called me. There they are. Paul just did it, see? All right, but even at that, when we talked about that, with all the knowledge it takes to make an iPhone, I can't believe how much stuff is in that thing. I mean, when I want to go somewhere, I just type in an address. Most of the time, I only get about half of the address typed in, and it tells me where to go anyway. Amen. That is so cool. It tells me the latest on the stock market, just in case I want to check and see how much money I've got set aside or don't have. Amen. Whatever they want to give me or whatever they want to take, I can look at my phone and find out. Isn't that cool? I can tell what the weather is. I can tell what's going on around me. There is so much intelligence that went into an iPhone that we talked about it when uh, I was preaching Thursday night. And, I, and even at that, we had to admit, all that smart stuff doesn't hold a candle to how smart God is. Let me tell you how smart God is. All the intelligence that it took to make the iPhone, God made all the people that had the intelligence to make an iPhone. He's way ahead of all of them. Amen? So when we think about all the things that we can do, um, I know all the things we can do that's, um, when we call somebody on that, we, want, we did it simultaneously. Actually, I got one call. The rest of them either went to voicemail or got a busy signal or got something, and I only got one call. Now there's four billion people plus in the world, and God can call them all at the same time and not get a busy signal, not go to call waiting or call forward or call message machine or nothing else. He can get all those calls to all those people. He has that kind of ability to make things happen. Amen? He can just basically cover all the bases at one time. Amen? God has a, a connection that's 24-7 because he connects to the hearts of people not the phones of people. Amen. So this morning I want to pick up kind of where we left off Thursday night, so to speak. Now the crowd was large and there was not a whole lot of room in the building, but uh, over half of the people that heard me speak came to me afterwards and said, that should have been a Sunday message. Well, 
I don't know how you judge a Sunday or a Thursday. I don't think God has any way of putting more emphasis on one day of the week or one service more than the other. God knows who's in the audience, and I never question. If there had only been two people here, I'd have preached the same message because that's just the way I believe God called me to operate. So uh, I just want to move forward in that, but I have to do what I believe God has called me to do. So with that said, turn to Ephesians, the first chapter, and I just want to read one sentence out of Ephesians 1. I'm going to start that sentence where it starts in verse 15 and read it till we come to a period where that sentence is over. How's that sound? All right, verse 15. Wherefore, I also, after I heard your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the workings of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him on his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world to come, that he might put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all, period. One sentence. About ran out of breath, but in the, when Paul wrote it, that's one sentence. Now, I have to tell you, uh, I have uh, uh, serious issues with people that like to study the Bible, but don't like to leave things in context. So as a minister or as someone that studies the Word of God, I always want to know the context. I don't want to take just the thought out of the middle of a sentence and draw a conclusion from that. Why not read the whole sentence or, in reality, read the whole uh, context? Or sometimes uh, it's not that long to read the whole letter that Paul wrote. So uh, I just like the thought of keeping everything in the way it should go. Actually, I wanted to just point out something that's in verse 18. But since um, verse 15 to 23 is all the same sentence, I wanted to capture the entire context. Now, in verse 15 to 18 of that sentence, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit as he writes that, lets them know that he wants that church in Ephesus to always be in his prayers and he's always thinking about them, always wanting to help in some way for that church to be better than they were. Paul was instrumental in starting that church. Actually, Paul got to that church growing and doing fine, and he felt like God was calling him onward, but he didn't want to leave him without a pastor. So he left Timothy behind to be the pastor of that church when he did that. 
So when you read the book of Ephesus and the books of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, he's writing, if you would, to the same group of people where Timothy was pastoring in Ephesus. So in verse 18 and 19, he appreciates their attention and their receptiveness to what God desires for them to perform as the church in Ephesus. Then in verse 20, to 23, Paul points out that even Jesus himself was subject under God to the same things he's asking us as Christians to be subject under God about. And uh, while Jesus was on earth for his three plus decades, he submitted himself to the same set of guidelines God requires of us. Huh. Now, God placed all of us here as part of his creation when he put every one of us on this place called earth and beyond. Some of us don't live on earth. Some of us are way out there. But God still created us to be a part of what he wants us to be. So let's look at the portion that I want to talk about in verse 18. It says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. God doesn't want you and I wandering in this world in darkness with blinders on or our eyes closed. Uh, he wants us to know about his will for our life. Even though God may have a different overall plan for each of us, the basics are still the same. Amen? Same ones he required of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is active in every heart that God has created. Did you know that? Even those that are evil, even those that are hateful, even those that are causing trouble, even those that are way out there and don't even consider God, even those that think God doesn't even exist, God has a place in every heart that he created for him. Now, some have accepted the convicting power of the Spirit and repented and are making the adjustments necessary to be back into God's graces. And then there are some that have turned their back on God and they will have their reward. But we need to understand all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the scripture says, and therefore God doesn't give up on anybody until he says, that's it. Amen? There are some people, and I got to tell you, there's some really evil people in the world that you and I occupy today. Amen? Some of them are your neighbors, and some of them are halfway around the world. Nonetheless, God has a place in their heart that he wants to dwell in and he wants them to be converted into the kingdom of God that he set up for all of us. Generally, I think about the, the thought of some, all of sinning comes short of the glory of God, but then I think about it and there are exceptions because Jesus didn't sin. Amen? And, uh, but I have to say, you and I are not Jesus. So we fall into that category. Another exception is that those that didn't have the opportunity to grasp the idea of sin entered into eternity without that knowledge. For example, babies 
or those that uh, were aborted, uh, those people, I can't see God holding them accountable when they didn't have any uh, knowledge of what the situation would be for them to make heaven their home. But that's just another subject for another time. As for us, God's faithful to open our eyes. He wanted to enlighten us to the truth that he's established and we're thankful for his love and mercy that he extended to us through his two witnesses. That's why Paul says, we are enlightened. We know better. We even understand truth that the word of God and the spirit of God uh, lets our hearts and lives be aware of that we can be the vessels God wants us to be. God's opened our understanding to take in his wisdom, his understanding, and he's given us the ability to choose the life he desires for us to have. Amen? That's better than the life the world is choosing because of the temptations and the pursuit of, that they have to chase the devil and the things of this world. I would rather chase the things that are eternal rather than the things that are temporary. Amen? So all of us could come up with an example of saying, would you rather have a temporary or would you rather have an eternal? You know, do you want a job for a week or two or do you want a job for a career? You know, you think about those kind of things and God has made a lot of those things available to us without us even thinking about it. When you look at the world to, to, uh, around us every day, I'm thankful for the option that God has called me to be a part of. Amen? Once we're enlightened, the scripture says that we may know what is the hope of the calling, of his calling. That's what it says in verse 18. What is the hope of his calling? Huh. I got to say something here. As I studied on this calling... There's a lot of places in the scripture where the word hope is also attached to the calling in the context that it's put forth. Now, I'm not going to read them all to you. I told you Thursday night, those of you who were here, in my concordance, it's real fine print. I got to have my reading glasses out and get real close to it to read it sometimes. But there's two and a half pages six columns of references to call, called, calling, callest, calleth, all those, it's a lot of opportunities for God to get his word to us about what he wants in our life. So we need to take time to think about it, and I don't know about you, even if you don't understand or don't really grip into, if you would, his calling, all of us want hope. Amen? The hope doesn't come without the calling. Amen? Take a second look at what was just written in that verse. As important as his calling is to us in the individual daily walk of salvation with God, our understanding of that calling is God's way to offer hope to each and every one of us.
Amen? Look at our world. And one of the words that might best describe our world totally is helplessness. They just, or I'm sorry, hopelessness is the word I meant to say, not helplessness. They're hopeless. They have nowhere to turn. They try this, try that. It breaks my heart when young people think they're going to find happiness in drugs. They're going to find happiness in alcohol. They're going to find happiness in whatever form they think it's, it's out there, only to find out that they're vastly disappointed in the results that they find there. But God offers hope if we just answer his call. Amen? Along with that hope comes, if you would, according to the scripture here, the riches of his glory of the inheritance, look real close, in the saints. Your inheritance is something that's in you, not on you. It's not in the bank. It's not over there. It's not in what you invested in. Your riches come from what God puts in your heart. Amen? That's where it's at. Don't, for, don't fall for that trick where the enemy will say, oh, if you just come my way, I've got something great over here that you're really going to love. No, if I'm looking for something of the inheritance that's richly going to bless my life, it's going to have to come from the inside out, not outside in. Amen? When God answers, uh, when you answer God's call, something's going to change in you, not on you, in you. The Bible says that he'll take out the stony heart and put in a heart of flesh. That takes place in you, not on you. Amen? There may be a crowd all around you when God changes your heart, when you get born again, when you get in right contact with God and they won't see any change in you at all, they won't notice a thing. They won't see any moving. They won't see you hopping and jumping. But when that change takes place, that's because it's in you and not on you or around you. Amen? And when that surgery takes place, they can't see it with their fleshly eyes. They have to see it in the life you lived from that day forward as you walk in what God calls you to walk in. But when that change takes place, you're changed and you're enlightened to the operation that God worked in your life. When you receive the inheritance, it talks about in verse number 19. Amen? That you will also grasp what his is, his, is his exceeding greatness. Hmm. Evidently, there's not too many people in the world that can see his exceeding greatness or they'd answer the call of God and go for that inheritance. Amen. He's got a great inheritance for us. Now, I know a lot of us want, want our rich uncle to send us a letter from his lawyer that say, sorry he passed, but uh, he left you several billion dollars and... Uh, and uh, nothing I can do but give it to you. Well, 
That would be a nice inheritance if that was your desire, but I'd rather go to heaven than have a billion dollars in this lifetime. Amen? So here we find that with that exceeding greatness, even in verse number 19, is his power. Hmm. Do you ever think about the power of God? God's pretty strong. He's pretty powerful. He's pretty smart. He can be in a lot of places and a lot of times and help a lot of people at the same time. Man, he's got a lot of power. Amen. He can move a lot of things that this world has no idea how to do it. Well, many people stand in awe when they pull out their iPhones. It's how great and how much power is in that thing. That's compared to the power God has. That's nothing. Amen. God can take care of all that a long time ago if he wanted to. Amen. God is so much greater because, like I said, he not only knows all that, he created the people that came up with the idea of an iPhone. So he's got to have more power and understanding than those folks. But notice, that great power is to those that believe and according to his great power. The belief part comes along with it because it's the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe. Not to us that doubt him. Not to us that do our, our own way. Not to us that think ah, it'll all work out somehow. No, you got to believe. And if you don't believe, you won't have the faith to find the hope that comes from knowing what God has for you in the life that he's given for you. Amen? It's the same power he wrought in Christ, it says in verse number 20. He wanted you to have the same power Christ had. Isn't that something? But what you got to do? You got to believe. Amen? Now, I understand Christ uh, probably was way ahead of us when it come to connection with God while he spent his three decades here on earth. But now we can still have a glimpse of that power as we sanctify our lives. And some of us have been saved for 30 plus years or, and more. So we should be getting to be more in the image of Christ, which is God's plan for us when he saves us, to be more like Jesus Christ. Amen. That's when we become a brother and sister to Christ, and when we do that, we become the church. Did you know that? That's the way it works. Let me say right here, real quick, something that fantastically happened when Jesus, well, between when Jesus went to the cross and between the day of Pentecost. Stick with me here. The people, as we read the scriptures, we understand a lot of them people didn't have a clue what was going on. They didn't know. Even Peter denied Christ three times. Once they arrested him, he didn't know which way to go next. He didn't know what was going on. He was totally lost. And he was one that walked really close to Jesus Christ. But when Jesus died on the cross something fantastic or miraculous happened in the temple. 
Now the Jews at that day and time were in the Passover season and we're understood to be at that time uh, quite a few million people in Jerusalem when this takes place. Theologians tell us there was like 1.2 million in town when this happened. You know one of the things that happened when he died on the cross? The scripture says immediately the veil to the temple that separated the holy of holies from the holy place rent in two from top to bottom. That veil, they tell us, is about 60 feet high. And so it tore from the top down, not from the bottom up. Had it torn from the bottom up, they could have said, well, some guy jerked on it too hard and tore it. But since it tore from the top down and there's nobody 60 feet tall, it couldn't have been a working of a man. It had to be something supernatural. Well, guess what happens when it ripped in half? That left the Holy of Holies, the place they all thought God lived. They thought that's where he stayed all the time. Isn't that something? And now it's wide open. They can all walk right in and see for themselves. God's not there. Not that they can see with their naked eye. In their day and time of the Old Testament, if they wanted to see God, they had to look for him in a cloud by day and fire by night. They looked right in the Holy of Holies. No cloud, no fire. God had moved out. Now they're in trouble. Good thing the Passover is basically over or they would all missed out on it because God was there to accept their offerings for their sins that year at the Passover. And they appreciate that, I'm sure. What are we going to do next year? Hmm. They start making plans, don't they? I'm going to see, what are we going to do? We're in trouble. But on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell, and after Jesus walked with his disciples and gave them instructions, then they came back to the crowds, if you would, and Peter speaking to them and came together there, talked to all of them and gave them a message. And at the end of that chapter said, this is what Jesus was talking about. This is it. From now on, you're going to have to walk with God yourself through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. You're going to have to believe that because that's what God said would happen. And when they did, guess what they became? Brothers and sisters joined together in common. Amen. The scripture calls it in one accord, working together. They sold what they had. They put it together in one pile, and the church was born. That's the beginning of the church. That's how the transition from temple worship became church worship. Amen? And it all comes down to now where two or three are gathered together. He's there. It'll work. Amen? So we should really have a rip-roaring worship this morning. We got more two or three. We're moving right on up the ladder. Amen? So when we find out how these things all worked in the Old Testament to the New Testament and they knew Jesus was in the tomb, so he couldn't have done it. But three days later, 
while nobody was looking, I guess, except the soldiers, and they passed out. The tomb opened. Jesus walked out, and nobody even seen which way he went. They didn't know if he went north, south, east, west, up, down, backwards, or forwards. But they knew he was not in the tomb because they stooped down and went in to look for him. And he wasn't there. Amen? So Jesus got all this taken care of when he was listening to the call of God on his life. In the garden he said, Father, not my will, but thine be done. And it was. The church was established. Amen? So the church is just a gathering of people that have received, responded, and are operating under the call of God. Amen. Don't matter what the name over the door is. Don't matter who's doing the speaking this week or next week or another week. Doesn't have anything to do with that. When the church gets together, it's the church. Now, we are organized in the way that Scripture asks us to be. All things are supposed to be done decent and in order. And so in that, and we find out later on in the New Testament writings that the Holy Spirit does want people called to certain positions so that worship is coordinated and it works good for everybody involved. Isn't that cool? Amen. So uh, even in the Scriptures where we read about spiritual gifts, that's God's people responding to the call that God has put on their life so that the work that God wants in the kingdom of God can go forth to the glory of God. Amen. Not all of us have all the gifts, or though we don't operate in all of them at the same time. Amen. That's not God's way. He gave some gifts to men, and what are they for? To profit with all. Everybody should profit when you operate your spiritual gift in the worship service. I still think it's yet to be seen what God can do in a people that God has called if they not only take God's call, but operate according to that call. I think there's still a lot more God wants his people to do. Too many times, God gets a busy signal when he calls on someone to perform in the kingdom. They think, the devil tells them, uh, you're not very good at that. Uh, you, you let somebody else handle that. Uh, not me. God says sing, I sing. Amen. I'll make up my own song if I have to. It don't matter. I'll throw something out there. That's the way it is. Amen. You say, well, you're a terrible singer. That don't hurt my feelings, none. I, my mom played the piano for the church we went to, I grew up in, for over 40 years. She got a big plaque and all that stuff for all the work she did in the church back then. Isn't that something? She told me I couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. <laughs> now, I have an excuse, because I can't hear. So I don't know whether I... And when I'm speaking, and I hear, it's different than like everybody else alright so I have an excuse you don't amen so sing to the glory of God amen amen I put turn on the TV last night flipping through the channels hit a channel I don't know what or where it was at or anything 
And they, I called Bonnie. She's upstairs. I said, you don't need to see this. And they were just singing, How Great Thou Art, Amazing Grace. And it was a whole jam-packed, big church kind of setting. And great big choir in the background and microphones everywhere. And all they were singing was the old Church of God hymnals. This, and man, that's bringing the house down. Now I just told Bonnie, I said, man, even I could preach to that crowd after the 20 minutes of them singing those hymns, man. God was really in the place when they were singing those hymns. Well, we need to be the same way. If that's a gift God's given you, use it. Amen. And you get a great opportunity when we sing as congregation. Because you can yell whatever. I was singing a different song than you guys were singing and nobody even noticed. Amen. Oh, it's great. God's good to us. Amen. Amen. What a shame, though. They missed the blessing that God had for them in a lot of cases by not answering the call that God has for them because they're jealous. Somebody else sings better than me, so I'm not going to sing. Somebody else teaches better than me, so I'm not going to teach. Somebody prays better than me, so I'm not going to pray. Get over yourself. If you're praying to impress the church, you're doing it for the wrong reason. You should do it to impress God. I know when I sing, man, he's shouting in glory. I'm just singing to praise God. If you don't like it, well, that's what they make earplugs for. But God wants me to do what I think I should do according to the call he put on my life. But too many times, jealousy, envy, pride, get involved, and they don't do the call that God put on them that he wanted them to do. Let me read one more sentence in the Bible in Ephesians. It's one page over, fourth chapter. Ephesians 4 and 1, I just want to read one more sentence. Verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. One more sentence. Isn't that something? How can I squeeze two hours of preaching out of two sentences? Well, we'll just let God talk about it. Amen. Now, in verse number one there, I think that is a large lot of impact of what the Holy Spirit is saying to his people there. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. You know what the dude version of that is? I wrote it down. Hey, you! I want you to do a good job at whatever God has placed on your heart and your mind. Get to work. That's the dude version. Amen? Nobody publishes that. You can't buy it at the Christian bookstore. You're fortunate enough that you get it here firsthand. But doing God's will is simply walking worthy of the call that God has for you. Man, it ain't that hard. 
You just got to step up to the plate whenever he calls your number, answer it, and follow instructions. Amen. They're written that out for us. The Holy Spirit will show you when you're getting off track in your understanding of what's in the book. Amen. That's what he's here for. Amen. The results of your obedience to God is what he's talking about when he added into that sentence verse 2 and 3. Amen? You are doing your call. I do my call. No call is more important than another call. We do it humbly as possible. We give God the glory and the praise. And we do it out of a heart of love. And watch the work blossom into the unity God desires for his people to be blessed with in what he calls the bond of peace. We can come together and have peace about what we're doing for God if we do it with a heart of love, if we do it in the way God is directing us to do it, if we give him the glory and praise for it, there's a sign right above that window on the outside there. You might want to go out that way and read that sign before you go home. Amen. There's more that can be done for God if we don't worry about who gets the credit for what's being done. I got to tell you, and I say it in the minister's meeting when we get together with all the ministers, I tell them I'm one of the weirdest pastors there is in southwest Ohio. I not only believe in unity, I practice it. Now there's a lot of preachers that preach unity. We have a camp meeting and three or four show up out of 50. Huh. That to me doesn't sound like they're practicing unity. Now they even will cancel their church service during camp meeting week and still don't show up. That's not practicing unity. Amen. Now, I, I can understand they probably have other ministries that they want to keep rolling. They may have somebody sick in their congregation in the hospital. They may even have a funeral to preach or a wedding to preach during camp meeting week. That got scheduled, and, and you know, the schedules can get kind of tight, but not six days in a row, I wouldn't think. Sooner or later, something's going to make room for you if it's in your heart to want to have unity with other brothers and sisters you'll make your way to the camp meeting amen there's a lot of effort goes into that I've been on the camp meeting board since brother Jack pastored here he was on the camp meeting board and I felt as his if you would come in behind him or replacement I don't like that word but I took the pastor after he walked out and I think I should do at least as good as he did if I can and even improve on it somewhat amen so I've been in the camp meeting committee they don't tell nobody they've even appointed me vice chairman of the committee don't tell nobody because I don't want nobody knocking on my door complaining about what's going on at camp meeting. Amen. Go to the chairman. I'm just there to, to hold his back up, support him. Now, but there's a lot of things that are going on that people 
can do as what God would call them to do, and they shy away from it. I'm tired. I'm busy. That's ah, my vacation time. I just got to get away. I'm wore out. Uh, come on. It doesn't happen all in the same week. God desires unity of his people. And basically, it would even happen automatically, if you say it that way, if everyone would answer God's call and do and perform the things God wants them to perform in his call that he gives them. Not all of us have the same calling. But every calling is important. It's important to you. It's important to the church. It's important to God. Therefore, we need to make it a priority in all we do in the kingdom of God. When God lays something on our heart, you know why he does that? Because that's what he wants you to do. You can say, well, I'll call Paul Dunn. He can do it better than me. No, God didn't call Paul Dunn. He called you. And he didn't call you so you could call him. He wants you to do what he wants done in the kingdom of God. There's no telling what God can do with the individuals we have right here today in this worship service if everyone took the calling of God on their life serious and do what the two witnesses have guided them to do to the fullest of their ability. It's unexplainable what could happen, what God can do through a group of people that give him the right place in their heart. Amen? Now, you know I work on tractors for a living, kind of. It's a sideline business I've got. I've got three right now in my driveway. And not very many years ago, all three of those tractors would have been worth more than $1,000 a piece. But now, because of the lack of attention to detail given to those tractors today, I wouldn't give you $2 for all three of them. They're junk. They've been abused. They've been misguided. They've been things that they weren't designed to do. Amen. You turn the key on one of them, zero compression. What's that tell you? Thousands of dollars for a new engine. Another one backfires through the carburetor. Same thing. Bad cam. Needs an engine. Another one. You put it in gear and it grinds like a coffee grinder. Needs a transmission. We're talking serious bucks. Amen. I don't even care if you got Carfax or not or whatever they, they say takes care of all your car problems when the check engine light comes up. That ain't going to fix these tractors. They're expecting me to do it with a little bit of effort and not spend any money. It's not going to happen. All three of them tied together would make one good boat anchor. That's all they're good for. Why? Because they weren't properly cared for. They didn't use them for the purpose they were designed to be used for. Well, God has designed you with a purpose. And you have something you can do in the kingdom of God 
And the calling he lays on your life is for you and you only. Amen. That's the way it is. I wonder, as God looks down from heaven and sees some of the same results a few years ago when God called us and gave us what we need to be doing for him, that answered their value to the kingdom at that point would have been very high. But today, because of the lack of attention, the lack of details covered, they're rendered, if you would, useless in the work that God's called them to do. That's a shame. Now, those tractors can be restored and made useful with a little bit of money and a little bit of parts, a little bit of labor. We could probably put them back together and get them back to cutting grass. But what about the souls that God sees in his rubble pile and all it takes is for them to seek the miracle worker and call out to him for mercy and he can reinstate those wayward souls back to the useful tools in the work of the kingdom of God. What's our calling? Where do we stand? What God wants of us? What's he expect of us? Do we need an update? Do we need a surgery? Are we operating in the love and unity the way God desires his church to operate? And do we do it for the right reasons? Is it for his glory? Is it for his praise? If not, let's get restored by the power of God and get back on track where God wants his people to be the church that the rest of the world would see high and lifted up, as Isaiah said, in the, the temple of God where God gets the glory and they can see where they need to be or where they're falling short in their lives. We need to have impact on people around us. Amen. I tell the people that I work on their mowers, if they call me on Friday, probably ain't even going to look at it till Monday. My, my weekends are booked. I'm a pastor. God's put a call on my life that's more important than lawnmowers. Amen. Now, eventually, God will give me some spare time. Maybe I can get it taken care of. But what's most important? To do the work God laid on my heart. It's more than 45 minutes behind a microphone in a pulpit on a stage. There's a lot of work that goes into putting a message together that God wants us to do to help all of us come into the unity and the bond of perfectness that he has for his people. Amen? Your part is just as important as mine. Amen? If you weren't here, the seats were all empty, and I preached my toes off, wouldn't do any good unless you guys step up to the plate and say, God, talk to my heart. Where do I need to be so that I can be what I need to be for you? He's asked the same questions of me. 
that I'm asking of you because he's speaking to me to ask the questions of you. And I had to answer the questions in my study before I even got in the car to come to church today. It's a part of the kingdom's work that we need to accept and say, God, whatever your call is, that's what I'll do for you. Amen? And remember, Jesus never said it'd be easy, just worth it.